trade deadline strategy, how to improve your team pre and post the MLB trading deadline. We'll also have our waiver wire picks, pitcher preview, mailbag, trivia, and injury report. Former TGFBI overall winner Kevin Hastings joins us on the Beat the Shift podcast coming up next. And welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always is Ruven Guy. How are you, Ruven? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Start of the second half of the season is here, and we've got a special guest. He was one of the winners of TGFBI, I think, in its second season. Uh, sorry, third season, I should say. Welcome, Kevin Hastings. How are you, Kevin? Oh, I'm doing well, Ariel. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my pleasure. I got that right. Third season, right? Yes. Uh, Todd Zola and Clay Link, the first two. That's right. That's right. I do remember that. I remember one of the years, I know, Ruven, you were like, I think you finished in second to Zola or something like yeah, that. Yes, right? I finished in second to Zola in the second year. Yeah, that's right. So what's going on with you, Kevin? How's, uh, how's Hawaii? Kevin, by the way, is all the way out west in the middle of the Pacific dealing with the storm. What's going on there? Ah, doing well. The storm was a dud, which was uh, fortunate for everybody here on the island. And uh, enjoying all these day baseball games. Day baseball games for you mean morning baseball games for me, and I absolutely love it. Absolutely. All right, well, we've got a great show today. We're going to talk about trade deadlines, and we'll talk a little bit about the players, but a lot of strategy along the way in terms of what you should do for your team in anticipation afterwards and all things strategy of the trade deadline. So I'll throw it out to you really, really generally, Kevin. What is your method and how do you plan in advance for the trade deadline for your rosters? Or do you? Maybe you don't at all. I'd like to know what you do. Uh, other than with relievers, which we know can can – gain and lose jobs for different players around the leagues and we tend to have we don't know where they may go but we 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 have somewhat of an idea of some that may be moved so you you kind of got to prepare for that a little bit but I really try not to pay attention as far as my fantasy teams are concerned because we don't know is is what it boils down to and I think uh, you can you can really uh, mess things up if, if if you think you know something that you actually don't Ruvain, do you have a different take on that? Slightly. I mean, I don't like trading too much generally in season. I know me and you made a trade in a league earlier, I think it was a week and a half ago. Um, I don't like trading too much, but when it comes to, to seeing whether or not you need a trade, I think it's very important. You have to look at your team, see where you are in the standings, and see if, the, if a trade would, first of all, help you, second of all, help someone else, or the opposite, hurt you or hurt someone else. I think all those things you have to take into perspective before you even decide to trade. And then when you look at your categories, what can you trade away? You want to know if you're able to, and based on what's going on in the actual baseball season, do you have someone who may who may lose playing time, who's on a bad team, who's not going to be on their team in a couple of weeks? Is he someone that you think you can pawn off on someone else just so you can get another player that you need? 
Yeah, you know, the question is, what is going to help you more, making trades now or or after the deadline passes? Obviously, the value, the future value of the players are going to be very different in a couple of weeks from now. So is it worth, you know, talking about making trades now? Kevin, what's your feeling, you know, in terms of timeline of when the best time to trade to better your team is it most effective now or most effective later? Obviously, picking up from the waiver wire is a different story, but what about actually making trades in your leagues? I, I think it it it's always feels like a cop-out answer, but it, it, it depends on the league. One, one of my favorite moves to make is if a uh, big-name player is moved to a team that your fantasy league has a fan of, I go shopping on his team and see who they have that I want, his or her team. Uh, I, that That is, I think, the easiest way to get value at the trade deadline is when a big-name player goes to a team that another player in my league is a fan of. So you're you're going to pick on the uh, the guy who overvalues his own team is is what uh, the general process well, is gonna for be, you. Yeah, they're going to be more excited, you know, and, and I, I think there can be a, a little bit of a a slow start typically when guys move. They're moving their home. They're moving their family. They're, you know, they're not mentally in the game 100%, and they may be great uh, overall after a couple of weeks, but it, it may take them a little while to get going. And if there's a fan of that team in your league that's excited about a Padres fan gaining Juan Soto last season, uh, and we know he didn't start out great for the Padres, I, that, I think that was a great opportunity to move Juan Soto if you, you can get what you, the value you want in return. I mean, my take on this is that, you know, trading earlier is better rather than later because uh, it has a bigger influence on the rest of your team and, and, and it is a bigger influence on the rest of the season for for gaining. You know, if you're down in the standings, waiting till after the trade deadline could be too late. You want to get the rolls. Uh, you want to get the, the juices flowing now while there's still time. However, um, if you know what you're doing and if you know how to pick up value that – doesn't seem like it's a value, but could come into value shortly after the trade deadline, meaning you pick up a guy who ends up being a closer, or you pick up a guy that's going to get more at-bats, or you pick up a guy who you think is going to be traded that changes teams and gains value. You know, you can make the moves now, wait until the trade deadline when the value is realized, and then trade them off to get excess value. So there are ways to play it. Ruvain? I also think that if you see the teams that are not doing that well, you can t you can make an educated guess as to who's going to be traded. The Cardinals already said that they're open for sale, so you know the Cardinals are going to sell off some of their guys. You have another team like the Pirates. You know they're probably going to sell off some of their pitchers as well. Royals also. Even the Mets, and I even say even the Yankees maybe have a little bit of a sell-off just because they're not doing so well in the standings. There's so many teams ahead of them in the standings that you, that you know that they're probably going to sell off, and you can make an educated guess and say, you know what? I don't think the Mets are going to make the playoffs this year. They're probably going to trade David Robertson. But do you know if he's going to go to a team where he's going to be the closer? He's going to be the setup man? You don't know that. So this is, I think the time to trade is now that type of player because if you own David Robertson, if you want to trade for David Robertson, there's inherent risk with that because you don't know uh, if you get him. You don't know if he's going to be the closer or anything like that. But if you're down in the standings and you need to take on more risk, I think that's a risk you should be willing to take. All right, so you mentioned a few teams there, Ruvain, and maybe it pays to talk about a few of them. You know, let's take the Cardinals, for example. 
Um, you know, what assets are the Cardinals going to trade? Are the Cardinals going to unload Paul Goldschmidt? Are the Cardinals going to unload Miles Michaelis? potentially. What about uh, one of their closers, Jordan Hicks? That might be someone that they could trade. Of course, if they trade him, that would put Giovanni Gallegos as gaining value. What's your take on the Cardinals, uh, Ruven? I think they are going to trade one of their closers. Um, I was going to mention this in the injury update, but Ryan Helsley has begun a pitching program, and he could be back within the next two weeks or so. So even if they trade a guy like Jordan Hicks, Gallegos may not be the closer. Helsley may may come back and get the closing job, so you don't never know with that. But if you look at their roster, I mean, Goldschmidt, I don't think it's it's hard to trade because of his contract. Arenado, same thing. Um, you may see a trade of Tyler O'Neill just because they did the same thing with uh, with Harrison Bader, so they may trade another outfielder because they have so many outfielders. Paul DeYoung is a guy, if you need a middle infielder, he may be traded just because he's out of options. I know he's, an, he's, a, he's a lifelong Cardinal and everything, Everything like that, but he does have some value for a team that needs a middle infielder, and any any of the starting pitchers should be available. I think everyone in the starting rotation should be available, except for Jordan Montgomery because they traded for him. Even Jack Flaherty, they, if they can get something for Jack Flaherty at this point, it's possible that he gets traded. Any further insight, Kevin? And uh, also, let's let's go on to the Royals, your favorite team, and uh, you know who are the possible trade possibilities there. As far as the Cardinals go, I mentioned on on the wire last week that I have uh, peaked interest in Luke and Baker. And what what you brought up earlier with trades being different than pickups, prior to the trade deadline, when we're this close to it, uh, I don't want to give something up for something I don't know about. But when I can get somebody for nothing like Luke and Baker and all the Cardinals have to do is free up the DH spot. That could be anything that moves Brendan Donovan around. That could be, maybe they do Goldschmidt only has one year left on his contract. Maybe they do move him. If Luke and Baker can make it into that lineup, he's somebody I'm speculating on because I can get him for a minimum bid in fab. And that's the kind of uh, speculation I like to make, not something that costs me something. As far as the Royals go, they don't have a lot <laughs> that they can yeah. get things for. Uh, even even Scott Barlow's value seems to be dropping recently. The one caveat that I would make is for, for many years, we thought Salvador Perez was untradeable, not just because he was highly valued in Kansas City, but because of his contract. He was, he was more of a value to Kansas City than any other team in the league. But the Miami Marlins, if they're going to go for it, they, they could really use some production at catcher, and I could see that being a place that Salvador Perez would be happy to go to to make another run in, in the postseason, and he would bring immediate value to that team. So there, there may be something there. All right. What about the Pirates that, that Ruvain mentioned? Um, you know, I, I don't think that they're going to trade David Bednar. I know that David Bednar is a value and that would be one, but I think that they, they sort of like him and they, they value him going into next year also. Cheap option. Uh, is a Jack Sawinski a guy to, to trade? They're not trading Brian Reynolds. They just signed him. Maybe Carlos Santana, you know, a nice thumper for somebody. Kevin, right back to you, who on the Pirates is a trade I, I, I tend to agree with everything you just said there. Now, now the Pirates are still in contention with the, the NL Central being the way it is. Uh, so I, I definitely agree on Bednar. I don't think he's going anywhere. Uh, and even if he did, uh, there's, there's not really anybody in that. Bednar, as great as he's been, and he has 18 saves, he has five saves over the last month and a half. So anybody that's not as good as Bednar 
probably would have less than that over that time. So I'm not really interested in speculating on who may become the next Pirates closer. Uh, so, but Carlos Santana, absolutely. He seems to get flipped this time of year, every year. Uh, so definitely a possibility. And they brought some of these young guys up. Um, maybe G man Choi goes somewhere similar to move to Carlos Santana and uh, nothing that that's really gonna, uh, you know, be huge breaking news if it happens. Uh, but, but something light along those lines are definitely possible. Moving the Mets, David Robertson. I mean, that's almost a sure thing, right? It, that's almost a sure thing. Um, I'd even say Tommy Pham, but Tommy Pham left today's game with an injury. He may end up on the IL. So that was one of their main guys that they can actually get some value. Um, I heard that Mark Canna has a possibility to get traded, possibly to Seattle. I already heard rumors about that. That's a possibility. Um, and don't be surprised if, if I mean, I hope. Um, Daniel Vogelbach can get traded. I don't know who's going to want him, but he can be traded. Omar Navarez, he's a catcher. The Mets have a very good catcher. Um, they don't really they don't really need him. Um, his contract is a little bit friendly. He's a good framer, so he's a guy a team like I don't know. And he hits, so he, any team can take him. that needs a catcher, especially maybe a team like the Yankees. I can see him fitting very well with that team just because he's a good framer. He's a left-handed batter, and they need they need offense. And Omar Navarez is an upgrade from anything they have a catcher. Yeah, and the Mets can find somebody next year to fill that void, and they do have Kevin Parada uh, down the line who also could be a top catcher to pair with Francisco Alvarez. Mets have, have been blessed with the catching so far this year. All right, back to some strategy. So, um, you know, should you – we talk about trades. What about waiver wire when you're dealing – let's talk pre and post. When we're talking pre-waiver wire – who are you looking at to to uh, pick up right now in, in anticipation? Are you looking at somebody who you think is going to gain playing time when somebody trades guys away? Or are you looking for, you know what, forget about that, don't speculate on that, just get guys with good peripheral numbers, get guys who are hot, you know, ignore that. Well, what are you doing on the waiver wire right now to help your team, Kevin? Um, Kind of like I said earlier uh things that don't cost me much uh speculating on guys that i i don't think are a sure thing and therefore nobody else probably does either and if it's, it's something i think there's a decent possibility of occurring make that move or somebody that then on on the other side of it going further as you mentioned gaining playing time is, is always great you know i i've been a big fan of uh ramon urias in in baltimore for quite some time he's losing playing time they brought up all their young guys if they would happen to move him to another team well he will regain that playing time something like that i would be very interested in uh so it, it, it can be it can be both depending on the player but like i said something i don't have to spend much money on because if i'm wrong on my speculation uh it, it, it's not just that i'm wrong about the performance of the player i i don't even get a chance to see if i was right or wrong on the performance of that player if i'm wrong about what happens with playing time yeah ruvain let's talk about the post trading deadline and you know what do you think is the better source of value is it the traded player himself like you know let's say a player gets traded to a more friendly uh, ballpark for them, better run scoring environment for them where they have more support on their lineup. Uh, or is it going to be somebody on the crappy team? Like let's say Oakland who will cost you trade somebody 
Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who who be traded on Oakland, but uh, whoever gains more playing time, like like who is more interesting to you to gain value, the actual player getting traded or the player who's coming to playing time because of the void left. The actual player being traded, I think that's the big deal. I think if they go to a team like you, like uh, you, uh, you mentioned about um, Juan Soto going to the Padres, what about uh, two years ago when Anthony Rizzo went to the Yankees? They thought, oh, wow, a lefty power hitter going to the Bronx. That is super interesting. You didn't really care about who was taking over at first base for the Cubs. No one really cared about that. I think it's the uh, the player going to the new team because there's going to be hype around it. Uh, they're going to a better team, prop, most probably going to a better lineup. Their numbers should be better. And I think those guys are a lot more interesting. So I tend to agree, except for I'd say with closers, I'd say that I think the person who filled the void is going to be worth more. Because a lot of times the closers who get traded end up not being the closer. They're just an arm in the other bullpen. Or they're just getting the same saves as before. Sure, it's a better team, more opportunities, but it's slight. More often than not, you can find somebody who, oh, look at that. Here's the new closer. Uh, Now, in today's day and age with all the bullpen committees, that's less so than normal. But in general, for the in in the past, I would say for closers, it's the void that get to be filled. That is the biggest gain. Do you agree, Kevin? I I do agree as far as closers go that that's where the advantage is. I um, I I do think that the player on the team that lost a player in trade can be the bigger beneficiary for some players as well. Um, for example, I don't know that Nick Allen would move to lead off if Tony Kemp were to be moved, but I am not interested in the number nine hitter for the Oakland athletics, regardless of who they are, but the leadoff hitter I am. So if, if Tony Kemp were to be moved by Oakland, then whoever moves to the leadoff spot, all of a sudden becomes more interesting to me. So we're talking about closers for a bit and um, you know, Maybe, Kevin, are there any name closers that you think would lose their role after a trade by going to a team that just would put them in the bullpen? And also, what speculative current setup men or bullpen committee players will come into more saves, do you think? We've been looking at Scott Barlow being traded at this time of year for three seasons, so I'm not so sure it's going to happen. But uh, I think he would probably be a... uh, setup guy if he was moved to most teams there there's a couple of contenders that can use a closer but for the most part i think i think someone like him would be a setup guy even if bednar would happen to be moved depending on the team he goes to uh it could just be uh somebody wanting to to make their bullpen outstanding if they're really in for a postseason run um can't, the Kansas City speculation, I know a lot of people love Carlos Hernandez to take that spot right now if Barlow is moved. Uh, I still am not so sure it wouldn't still be Dylan Coleman, like a lot of us thought in the uh, offseason, that it would be at some point this season if Barlow to, were to be moved. So I that that's where it gets into it. I I'm going to grab the one that costs me the least amount and, 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 and hope that it works out because um, I – I'm not going to invest a lot in the unknown. So sticking in the uh, AL Central, Kendall Graveman, who is currently the closer of the White Sox, 
Uh, if he is traded, and I think he is a trade t uh, target for teams, I think that he would not be the closer anymore. So he would lose value. As to who steps up in Chicago, we're talking either Reynaldo Lopez, who they've tried before, Kenyon Middleton, depends on Liam Hendricks, what his story there is, uh, and Detroit. Depends how far. Now, right now, Detroit is still within range, but if they fall further, guy like Alex Lang, who's been absolutely fantastic this year, I think he is stands to lose a lot of value with the trades. I have a lot of Alex Lang shares. I'm a little bit nervous. Do you agree, Ruvain? Um, Alex Lang, I'm not as concerned because he's younger. They have a little more team control, so I don't think he's going to get traded. But if you look in the AL West, a guy like Carlos Estevez, I don't think he would be a closer on many other teams. I just I just don't see it. He, he'll be the eighth inning guy. Even David Robertson, when he was traded last year to the Phillies, he was the eighth inning guy. They slotted him into ninth inning because of inefficiency by their bullpen at a point. But when he was traded, everyone thought, oh, he's going to be the eighth inning guy. And then all of a sudden, toward the end of the season, he became the ninth inning guy because he was just pitching so well. Yeah, I think Paul Sewald in uh, Seattle is also a candidate to lose value. Again, it really depends the next couple of days how far Seattle goes down. But uh, Andres Munoz, who I liked preseason, he would stand to gain the bulk of the saves, I think. Um, in the East, in the NL East, yeah, David Robertson is the obviously uh, the guy. Now, the Mets do have Adovino and Rally. Who, it would be out of Vino if he's not traded, stepping up for sure. So those guys could change value. Uh, what about Kyle Finnegan in uh, Washington? He's back to being the guy again. Is he a trade candidate, do you think? Uh, maybe. Uh, it, it's, it's so <laughs> – It's I, I, uh, I mean, teams have to be desperate sometimes. And, and you know what? When it comes to the, uh, the the season, down to the season, down to the end of the season, August, September, you pitch the guy in the position where they're the, if they're a hot pitcher, they're going to get the closing job. A lot of these teams are doing bullpen by committee. I think that's the best way to go. Um, Hunter Harvey is a guy you may want to think about because he's on the Nationals. They're not going anywhere. And even the Yankees. The Yankees may get some value from Clay Holmes. I don't think the Yankees are making the playoffs. There are too many teams ahead of them. Their offense does not look good with Aaron Judge out. So I think Clay Holmes would bring them back a lot of a lot of a lot of good players, and they can always refill that that position in free agency. Kevin, you mentioned big name players and sort of going to your opponents who you know might like the team. But uh, I have two questions for you about big name players being traded. Number one is how much should we factor a, the change in venue in terms of their value? All right. I mean, uh, is it really, oh, wow, this guy's going to a better team. Whoa, he's definitely worth trading for because he's a better value. How much how much is that factor in? Um, and also my second question there is, you know, just going to a new environment, uh, a new team, new clubhouse, do you think there should be a general skills penalty? Um, I mean, I don't know of real research for that. I think different people exhibit different things. I know that for some people there could be a difference, difference in, in coaches. But do you think that there's any skills penalty that you have to put in for a player changing environment midseason? I, I, I think for both situations you just mentioned, it can go either way. Uh, I, I think the, the venue matters a, a great deal, uh, more than the lineup. I think the lineup gets overblown in our analysis, but the, the venue, if, if, if you're sending a right-handed power hitter to Baltimore right now and they may, may be in the market to bolster things with the run they're on, then, then 
that that may decrease the the value depending on the the type of power hitter that that it is uh i think when a, a player is moved that they the whole mental thing can mean a decrease in production at least at the very beginning two to three weeks getting adjusted to the move and that type of thing uh, but if you're getting out of a situation, I, I mean, I know you guys are both Mets fans, but I think a, a guy, a, aside from the injury that Tommy Pham faced today, uh, I, I think he would be ecstatic to get out of that situation right now and go to a, a, a team that's more on the upswing than the downswing, right? I think there is something for the mentality of a clubhouse. So I think it can go either way in, in both situations. And before we go to Ruvain, let's do the Injury Gurus Trivia of the Week. Speaking about big-name players, one of the big-name players that's been on the table for a while because of his contract year is Shohei Otani. So I never get to do big trivia questions on big-name players like this, so I decided to do a Shohei Otani trivia question. Currently, Otani is leading the MLB, Major League Baseball, in home runs and triples. There are three other players in MLB history, history, who have done it. Who are they? Who, who led baseball in homers and triples? And triples in the same season. Wow. I'm going to guess Ted Williams. No. Good guess, though. I'm going to guess Jose Canseco? No, he didn't have <laughs> triples. Okay. Ooh. And Hint? you have to go, a li- uh, one is during that, one is slightly before that. One is actually one was a teammate of of um, Ted Williams. I think possibly I don't I don't know Red Sox history that well, but I think he was. And two other guys have been are in the Hall of Fame. So I guess um, those are the hints for those guys. Any other guesses? <sighs> Ricky Hent? Nah, he didn't have that many no. words. Uh, Kevin, any any guess? This this is this one's. I I don't think he in. ever led in home runs, but I I know uh, Stan Musial had a lot of extra base hits. Extra base hits, but not home runs. So the three yeah. guys I was looking for: Mickey Mantle, Willie Mays, and Jim Rice. Oh yeah, Willie Mays. I should have guessed. Wow, those are so, good company. So when you're talking about whether these big name players are going to have issues when they go to other teams, Shohei Otani goes to another team. I'm not concerned about. Change in venue. I don't. That, that doesn't really matter. Max Scherzer. He's been traded before. He's a guy who, if he gets traded to into a, a contending team, he's shown that he can do it when he gets traded. So I don't have an issue with it. The veteran players, the veteran big name players. I don't think there's any issue with them going to a new team. I think it's the younger players that may feel a little bit more pressure to do well because they still have further contracts that they have to live up to. So there's more pressure on them. So I think those name those big name players will have an issue changing venue. Yeah, I haven't seen research either way to really show this. Um, you know, there's in general, you know, if a player is performing well in the season and the player is traded because he looks hot, you know, Tommy Pham or whatever, uh, in general, there's going to be regression. If you're overperforming in the first half of the season, you're going to underperform, or at least, you know, you could tend to underperform or perform closer to your average uh, in the second half. So, you know, even, even if a, te- a player switches teams, the regression or the downward movement might just be a regression, not a change in venue. It's very, very hard to really pick apart all the factors, and, you know, I think it's different things for different people. These guys are professionals, so, you know, no one's going around and moping, well, I'm not on my teammate, I'm not with my teammates anymore, and I don't know, new coach, what can I do? Like, yeah, these are professionals. 
and it's different also for pitchers and hitters. Pitchers have, uh, can acclimate themselves easier. They have more time to get used to the surroundings. Hitters, they, they're thrown in right away. And, and even look at in 2015 when the Mets got Ioannis Cespedes. For the first week and week and a half, he did not hit at all. And then all of a sudden, light switch went on and he went nuts. Well, that's the question, actually, because for pitchers, I know that different teams have different philosophies as to, you know, hey, I think you should throw the slider more. Like, a team might acquire a player and say, you know what, throw your slider more. You know what, ignore the two-seam fastball. Kevin, what do you think about that? Do you think that uh, for certain pitchers it is going to be a big effect because the the teams are going to ask the pitcher to change their repertoire? And it could be for the good or bad, by the way. Right, I think, and and we know some of the teams for the good. If a team goes to Houston, we've seen it, right? And and we've heard pitchers go to Houston talk about it, Charlie Morton and others. I got to Houston the first day I was there. They told me a couple of things that just changed everything for me. Uh, So, you know, Houston, Cleveland, uh, Minnesota of late, those types of teams. Uh, if a if a pitcher goes there, I would expect them to be as at least as good as they have been and maybe improve. Uh, so th- that is absolutely something I'd take into account. Let's talk about you know players and and playing time because as we've mentioned, the show playing time is always king. Um, if a player loses his full time job, either as a result of trade or maybe they're just you know not performing well, we'll talk about all things. Uh, around the t- trade deadline, you know, how quickly do you drop players, Kevin? You know, how quickly do you say, all right, well, n- n- this guy's, we have a team and uh, a player's being replaced because we have a trade, incoming trade. Now he's only getting a couple of bats a week. How quickly do you drop a guy? Or, or is, does it, obviously it depends on the player, you know, the cop-out answer of depends. But uh, uh, do you have a general rule of how much you hold players? In general, in the past, I have not dropped them quickly enough. I'm getting better and and to the point where in uh, many instances, if it's not somebody that I think has a really good chance of regaining it rather quickly, almost immediate. Also depends on the format and the depth of the league. In shallow leagues, you're going to tend to more be immediate. In in deeper leagues, mono leagues, you're obviously going to wait a little bit longer. Uh, any thoughts to add, Ruby? Yeah, I think one example of this, it's, it wasn't a trade, but someone brought someone up and may, and another player may lose playing time with the Cincinnati Reds. When they brought up Christian Encarnacion Strand, the first player you thought was going to lose time, Spencer Steer. And he's been, he's been playing very well, but they're going to go with the hot hand. If they feel that Encarnacion Strand is going to be is the guy and he's hot and they want to play him, then these guys are going to play, lose their playing time. Just like if a player gets traded into a team, they're going to play the hot hand. They, it's, 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 they only have two months left in the season they don't have time to quote-unquote figure it out so if if it, that's the situation they're just you know going with the hot hand and some players may just lose playing time even though they were performing the whole year very well Kevin you recently looked into uh roster flexibility in playing you know the weekly games with weekly lineups that you know the NFBC for example lets you uh switch up hitters lineups twice a week uh and you know you recently thought of the idea to look a little bit further into uh, adding a little bit more depth in case of even injury right in case a player is injured on monday hey you know get more multi-eligible players so that you can put someone in who's worthwhile instead can you talk a little bit about some of your research well i it wasn't as much research as as it was just 
looking more into over the past couple of seasons, I did realize that uh, in the past, um, especially in NFBC formats, no IL, only seven bench spots. I I used to have mostly pitchers uh, on those bench spots, and I realized that come Friday when I needed to make changes because of what had happened earlier in the week, I didn't have options. So I had already made that transition to, to carrying more hitters and hopefully one or two with some multi-positional eligibility. But with all of the injuries we've had this season, and it typically we we don't always get the news the guys are day to day and then all of a sudden right before the first game of the week they do hit the il i i've been looking on weeks like this coming week we have 10 teams that do not play on monday that's 10 teams worth of players that if any of these guys are day to day those teams don't necessarily have to make their decision on what they're doing with the roster until tuesday so it's not necessarily something that I'm uh, make is a big part of my decision, but if it comes down to guys in my uh, uh, backup bids or my waterfall bids, and and I have a couple of guys pretty close together or about the same price, I'm gonna move the guy that doesn't play till Tuesday ahead, uh, just so that gives me another option on Tuesday if something happens Monday or early Tuesday after Fab is run on Sunday, uh, the same way that I am preparing for things for the weekend on Friday. I enjoy playing in the NFBC, but I, I will say, though, that I'm, I'm not a fantastic fan about the twice-a-week lineup setting, and it's not because, oh, oh you know, hey, you don't like daily or, or it's better. Uh, I, I kind of think you get these kinds of situations too much, and the goal is not so much to pick the skills of the player. It's more about who's playing more more uh, games, right? I mean, who would you, we talked about this on a different episode in the show. If you have a guy playing four games versus a guy playing three games, I mean, we're not talking about Ronald Acuna versus some scrub in the bottom, but somebody even with a big disparate level in talent, you're almost always going to want to pick up the 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 four the player playing four four games, being if he's a regular you know guy getting regular at bats over the three, and it becomes a game of just looking at the schedule and then looking at matchups. I like the game better in terms of looking at skills, and to me, uh, if you think that the week is too long and it's not fair. If, players get injured, I think that, you know, if you had IL replacements midweek, then that solves it. I mean, if a guy goes on the IL, it's not a perfect system, but a guy goes on the IL, you get to replace him with somebody on the bench, and it's a weekly league. I don't know about you, Kevin. What, what are your thoughts on, on the format type? Uh, do you enjoy the NFBC, or do you wish it was slightly different? I enjoy the NFBC. I, in my opinion, it's the best out there, and I agree there are other options uh your, your the the one you just brought up where you could replace a player if someone goes on the il uh that that is appealing uh i i agree that it, it has become uh a game more about playing time than skills i i mean uh i think it was uh uh rob silver and jeff zimmerman talking about it recently on 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 one of their pods that you know uh, it, it it's difficult to make the decision when we're just talking about the, the concentrated three or four day scoring period uh, of when we're putting our lineup in. But even if, if you take someone like Mike Trout, are, are you, would you, if you were playing a league and you had Mike Trout for 400 at bats or you had 
uh, I don't know, a, a lesser player uh, for 600 at-bats. You're going to take that player for 600 at-bats over Mike Trout. But in the week, it, it's hard for us to do that because anything can happen in three or four days. But if we were going to play endless right endless number of leagues you bring this up point up yeah. in the offseason a lot about making decisions the the right decision would be play the player with more at bats so i i i agree that it that it has come to that point uh in, in many situations but i i don't know what the right answer is the the il replacement idea is appealing yeah and and i'd say some people uh fear that well if you did that for pitchers then you would sort of play a pitcher in and in anticipation of uh, an, an IL guy coming back or or something. Then you can get to uh, put them in, or you can yeah, you can rig the system maybe with pitchers. So maybe you only do this with hitters. Yeah, there's different ways to do it. But you know, my general point is, I, I'd rather have the IL replacements and activations even uh, than than the midweek. Well, you can use the utility spot also. If you think of players, if players hurt and they start on Tuesday, and you never you have another guy who starts on Tuesday, then just put that possible injured guy in the in, in the in the utility spot if you can, and then just flip him out if you find out that he's not going to play. I mean, that's what the that's one of the reasons why the utility is there. You can put any person you want in there. So you have to utilize the tools that you have now to be able to work with it. Oh, absolutely, Ravine. I, I that's a big thing that comes from fantasy football, right? That you get players that play on Thursday. Don't don't have them in in that spot. Uh, I I make sure to do that every week. If if guys aren't starting till Tuesday, and I can move them to middle or corner, and even better utility, absolutely, that is a move you need to make. Let's do a little bit of waiver wire. Who is a player, Kevin, or players that you would think about picking up for this coming week? In deeper leagues, I'm looking at Cade Marlowe up in Seattle uh, after the uh, unfortunate incident with Jared Kelnick and, and kicking the water cooler after a strikeout on Wednesday, I believe. Uh, it looks like Marlowe will get the games versus right-handed starting pitching, at least to start. Probably uh, Pollock will probably get the starts versus lefties. We're talking about a guy uh, in 2022 at Double A AA and Triple A, over 21, over 20 home runs, over 40 stolen bases. Uh, back at Triple A in 2023, on pace for even better in both categories. Probably going to hit at the bottom of the lineup, but he he is stealing bases under this year's Major League Baseball rules. He's been stealing bases for the last season and a half in the minors. So if you're looking for speed with a guy that does have some pop as well and probably going to play against right-handed pitching for at least a month, uh, Cade Marlowe is not rostered anywhere right now. No, it's a good one. Ruben? Yeah, you stole my thunder because I was going to mention in my injury report. But anyway, uh, I got two players. First of all, I got you mentioned a guy with multiple position eligibility, Wilmer Flores, who's only owned in 16% of CBS leagues right now. He's eligible everywhere except for shortstop, and the ironic thing is that he came up as a shortstop. Uh, the last week, he's batted 429 with three homers. Um, for the season, he's batting 291, so he's not a drain on your bat batting average. If anything, he helps it. Um, he only has 11 home runs, because, and he's only played in, in a limited amount of games uh, for the course of the season because he was injured a little bit, but he's eligible everywhere. And if you need someone middle infield, corner infield, he's a guy you can always fill in with. And another guy who's been batting leadoff 
for the Chicago Cubs occasionally is Mike Talkman. I think we mentioned him before. He's only 3% owned, and in the last week, he's batting 467 with five runs and one home run. Um, he's a guy that if you need someone for the outfield, and the outfield guys, you, you don't you know, you know don't have any luck, and, you, and it's very shallow out there, he's a guy you may want to look at just because he has been batting leadoff, and he has been getting playing time. And especially if Cody Bellinger gets traded, which is a possibility, if he gets traded, Mike Talkman gets even more playing time. Yeah, that leadoff spot is always great. I mean, we've mentioned on the show Mickey Moniak, who's you know just continued to rake. Uh, if he's available in your league, you might be too late, but he's the guy. I'll mention three quick guys. Chaz McCormick uh, looks hot right now. Um, he has four homers and eight RBIs, batting five fifty six for the week on the year. Twelve homers, nine steals, two eighty five average. That's pretty good. Um, you could do a lot worse than him. Give him a shot. Um, I'll mention a couple of others. Patrick Wisdom, only 35% owned. A lot of people dropped him, um, but he's back. He's hot again. He has three homers this week. This is the typical low batting average, big power guy. If that's the categories that you need or in your points league, that is interesting. Will Benson, we mentioned him last week. Still 20% owned only. Two more homers this week. Uh, get him while he's available. And how about Edward Julian? Wow. He's still only 30% owned, second base eligible, batting 318 with nine homers on the year. This month, the last 15 games, five homers, batting 531 with 10 RBIs. Tops prospect with pedigree should be owned in a lot more than 30% leagues. Anybody else to add, Kevin? Yeah, I like uh, Alex Call in Washington. Uh, I actually had him rostered earlier in the season and dropped him, looking at picking him back up. He's He's been back with the team uh, playing every day uh, for the past 11 games, three home runs and three stolen bases uh, for Washington. They are one of the teams that does have a seven-game week upcoming. And in uh, for power, uh, Mike Moustakis is playing against right-handed hitters and hitting fourth or fifth uh, on those days versus right-handed pitchers for LA and first base and third base eligible only 6% rostered in 12 team NFBC leagues, but uh, uh, he is rostered in two thirds of the 15 team main event leagues. Uh, the angels face six right-handed pitchers this week. And I also want to add one more player, uh, drew waters of Kansas city. He's only 8% owned in CBS this past week, 318, one homer, one stolen bases, but in 43 games so far this season, Four homers, four stolen bases, 19 runs, and a 252 average. If you multiply that, he's at 43 games. So multiply it and get by four. That's almost an 18-18 player or almost a 20-20 player for a full season. He was a prospect for a while. I believe is with um, Atlanta, and they and they got rid of him. So he's a guy that if he is if he gets playing time, and I guess they're going to play anyone who can hit in Kansas City because they're star for runs. He's a guy to look for. All right, let's do pitcher preview. Somebody that you'd like to pick up off the waiver wire as a pitcher for an upcoming start or two or next week. Uh, let's start with you, Ruvain. We'll go to you first. Who is a pitcher you would like to pick up? Okay, I have two of them, and I can't believe I'm saying one of them. Austin Gomber. <laughs> Austin Gomber of Colorado. Is this the week that we're all going to get Gombered? He has a possibility of having a two-start week at Washington and against Oakland. Those are two Good starts. In his last three starts, he's 2-1 and one with a 4 ERA, 18 innings. Um, I, I think 
those are two decent starts enough that I'm willing to risk an Austin Gomber pickup possibly this week. I'm not sure. But another guy, if you want, uh, who's playing Oakland also, supposed to play Oakland, is Alex Wood. He's only 19% owned in CBS. He's usually has a good ERA, usually has a good whip. He hasn't been great lately, but he's playing on a good team and he's playing against a bad team. Yeah, Alex Wood, high skills. Uh, although I'd say it might not be Gomber getting the two starts. It might be Chris Flexen. Um, very different. I, it's hard for me to pick any of these Rockies guys, but they are against Washington, and they are at home. Away at Washington, I should say. Uh, they are at home, but it's against Oakland, so it's usually a good start either way. Uh, Kevin, how about you? Who's the pitcher that you'd like to pick up? Uh, the reason I chuckled when Ruvane said he – couldn't believe he was saying it is i thought he was taking this guy it's patrick corbin um <laughs> he he's had he's had four blow-up starts this season out of 17 the rest have been at least decent and he gets colorado away from home colorado against left-handed pitching away from home as a team has a 66 wrc plus and a 610 ops on the season and then he gets the new york mets Versus left-handed pitching in July as a team, they have a 592 OPS. So I'm going to risk it with Patrick Corbin. This is one of those things. It's another thing you talk about often, Ariel. Uh, the further out of it you are, the more risks you have to, have to take. This is a guy I'm taking a chance with this week. Uh, if I'm sitting pretty good and just looking for somebody, I'd probably rather have a reliever in there and protect my ratios. But if I need to get some wins, and against these two teams, even though he doesn't strike out a lot of guys, we're probably looking at double strikeouts for the week from uh, Patrick Corbin. Kevin, are, are you reading my, my own notes on the show here? <laughs> that's <laughs> unfortunately not i wish i had them all because you probably got more than that <laughs> literally that is what i was going to say corbin and with the that with the additional uh caveat of risk as well so uh good good call on that according to what i would do uh, I'll I, I, I know what i know you're going to bring up risk i know that that's your thing <laughs> i'll mention three guys uh nick pivetta i mentioned last week Nick Pivetta looks like a different pitcher now. We know his pedigree. Since June 1st, he's a 210 ERA, .86 whip, a K per nine of 15. I mean, he's increasing his innings, so you're going to see that strikeout rate drop, but that looks very decent. Um, he had 13 strikeouts, 13 strikeouts, and no hits against Oakland this week. I don't care what team, that's a pretty good feat. So he's interesting to me now. Kose uh, Quintana just came back, 20% owned. He looked good today. Uh, first start, five innings, two runs, six hits, three strikeouts, no walks. Uh, that could be interesting. Mets have a good park. And Kyle Hendricks is not exactly the same guy as before, but he's looking somewhat similar. Looks like a lot of the skills have come back. Um He's got a good two-start week this week, potentially, against the White Sox and St. Louis. Not great teams. Might be somebody that I would ride in a 12-teamer. I had Kyle Hendricks down as well, Ariel. I, I'm a little concerned about that St. Louis start. The In, in the month of July, they are the second-best team in baseball versus uh, versus uh, right-handed pitching. So I'm, I'm a little careful there with that start, but absolutely love him against the White Sox for sure. All right, let's do a little bit of mailbag. We haven't done so much mailbag in a while, but uh, Gaman asks, which stats do you use when trying to pick up players that would help in home runs? 
Uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, home runs, and I'll give you my quick take. Home runs don't stabilize as quickly as some of the other metrics. Power uh, does. It takes a little bit more than a season. We're talking like 600 at bats really to stabilize. Whereas strikeout rate, walk rate, that comes really quickly, and stolen bases are really a team uh, team uh, issue and opportunity, and uh, whether the player does it or not. So um, it's hard for me to recommend a specific stat to say, look at this. I go by the projected numbers. Um, I For power, I will look at you know the bat or you know for the next week and see, okay, who's the guy in the waiver wire that looks interesting and maybe hasn't been, been doing it. I mean, you know, I, I, I look at some of the luck metrics for, for uh, power, uh, homer to fly ball ratio, if that looks extraordinarily uh, unfortunate. Uh, you know, just to tell me whether a player has been unfortunate. I, 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 th- what I'm trying to get is I, I, the metrics I look at are more retrospective. I'm more of a projections guy as to what I think is there. Of course, there's also streakiness. I do look at that a little bit, but uh, I'm more projections rather than looking at stats, underlying stats. Kevin, what are you looking at for home runs? I I agree with everything you said. I I will also look at pull percentage. If if guys are pulling the ball more, then I tend to believe in any uptick in in recent power that we have seen a little more quickly than, than having to wait longer to believe it. Uh, Tommy Pham's a great example. I heard Eno Sarah say earlier this season that Tommy Pham told him in the offseason he knew that due to the deadened ball last year, he needed to start pulling the ball more. That The opposite field power wasn't going to work. So I, I look at pull percentage. Ruvain, anything to add? Yeah, I mean, you guys basically nailed it. I'm going to add two things that are not necessarily stats, but pedigree. Look at look at the guys who are on the waiver wire. If they're a little bit older and and they're still available, like if it's a Miguel Cabrera and you need power, there's a possibility he'll get you something. I mean, out look at what Albert Pujols did last year. If Joey Votto's still available, he's he's actually we mentioned him in the waiver wire. I think last couple of weeks, if he's available and he's he's giving some power, he's having a power surge. And even look at the younger players. Look at what they've done in the minor leagues this year, because a lot of that will translate. But take that all with a grain of salt. See what team they played in the minors. If they played in like the Mountain League or the West Coast League when the numbers are inflated, you have to understand that those numbers are inflated and you have to take that into consideration when you look at the younger guys because you never know how power is going to translate from the minors to the majors. BPVA asks, I can't seem to get a group of outfielders together that I like. Low, Buxton, Conforto, all inconsistent. Just picked up Ton. I'm assuming he's referring to Byron Buxton. I, I didn't know that his nickname was Ton, but uh, uh, any... no, Tyler O'Neill. I bet that's Tyler O'Neill. Oh, is it Tyler O'Neill? Okay. I I, I I looked at this question. I'm like, who are we talking about here? Uh, so Tyler O'Neill will put that. Any cause for optimism with these guys, particularly Ton? Tyler O'Neill just came back, and if you uh, again, it's the risk thing. If you're out of it, if you uh, need some risk, yeah, I I, I would. Uh, I would latch on to him. It's not to me. It's not about. It's not even about optimism, right? It's about upside. You know, Tyler O'Neill has upside. So uh, Buxton has upside. These are players with upside in the right situation. Sure, if I need the expected production, I can't count on these guys. Uh, and I, I'm not a Byron Buxton fan in general. I, I think he's. You know what he offers is more easily replicable, replicatable on the waiver wire. It's just some power and low batting average. I mean, Patrick Wisdom to me is gonna take most of what he does, anyways. Uh, what about you, Kevin? Uh, anybody you like from that group, and uh, what are your thoughts? 
I like Tyler O'Neill because St. Louis is one of the ballparks that when we're looking at ballpark factors on a yearly basis, uh, St. Louis changes throughout the year. I, you know, one of the parks that we typically think of as Wrigley. Well, St. Louis is at end of July, August, early September. The ball flies much better in St. Louis than it does in April and May. All right. Moving? Thoughts? Yeah, I, I don't like any of those guys, really. I mean, all those guys have injury risk, and that's something you can't really deal with that much right now because you need statistics. You need them to be on the field. If they're hurt, they can't, they're not going to use statistics. Byron Buxton is always an injury risk. Tyler O'Neill can't stay on the field. Conforto's had issues with his legs recently. I, I'm, I'm concerned with all those guys. I, it's, I think you have to go with, the, if you need stats, you need power, look for the least injury risk prone player and try to work it that way. All right, let's get to the injury update. Ruvain, lay us uh, the land of injuries, replacements, and all things uh, dealing with uh, your neck of the woods. Okay, well, I mentioned Ryan Helsley before. He's on the aisle with a right forearm strain. He threw a bullpen session this week, his first step in returning. He's a guy to watch for, especially because if Jordan Hicks does get traded, he could possibly be closer. Jared Kalenic was mentioned before. He fractured his foot because he had a fight with a water cooler. Water cooler won. You make it, You mentioned Cade Marlowe, A.J. Pollock, and even Dylan Moore may get some playing time. Liam Hendricks actually is on the aisle with right elbow inflammation and threw a simulated game and had his... His um his velocity up to 93.8, according to the manager, which is good. They have to see what the next step is going to be, though. Josh Donaldson is on the IL with a calf injury. It's a high grade or a small tear in the calf. He may be done for the season, which may mean he also may be done with his career, unfortunately. Oswald Peraza came up. He's, he batted leadoff for the Yankees. I know the Yankees aren't good, that good. But when he came up, he batted leadoff. He got on base a bunch of times. So he's a guy who may play third the rest of the way out. Cedric Mullins was placed on the aisle with a right adductor groin strain. It's it's first they said it's a quad, but now it's a groin strain. Um, he may miss the minimum amount of time it's possible, depending on how how cautious they were within the very beginning, which they were very cautious. And Aaron Hicks may get to see more time. Max Freed, I always want to try to end on a high note. Max Freed was placed on the aisle with a left forearm strain a couple of months ago. He is moving his AAA, he's moving his rehab, sorry, to AAA this week. If there are no setbacks, he could be activated next week. And before I throw it back to you, I did have a mailbag question from someone asking about Bryce Harper and whether or not he came back too early from his surgery from last year and whether that's been affecting his power. And I do think it is an issue. I think that he did come back too soon um, for the first two months for him. He didn't have spring training. He didn't have any rehab, and it affected him. And this is something you have to watch for. If players come back too soon from an injury, it will affect them. Look at Pete Alonso. He was hit by a pitch, expected to be out three to four weeks. He was only out for 10 days, only out for 10 days. Since he's been back, he has just been awful. He's been, he has just six home runs in the last 31 games, batting 136. So this is a guy who you expect great things out of, but he, but these two players, both Harper, who's, it's been affected in his power, and with Pete Alonso, it's affecting his overall play. Coming back too soon from injuries is something you have to watch for, especially this part of the season when teams, teams are trying to push for the playoffs. Ruvain, do you think that uh, the teams would be wiser to just hold them out longer so that when they come back, they're closer to the regular level? And uh, to me, I think what the teams are probably saying is, well, let's see. We could play Bryce Harper at 60%, or we can pre play somebody else. Well, Bryce Harper at 60% is better than somebody else, so let's just roll with it. Uh, is that, I mean, 
that's that's not bad philosophy. That's correct, but that might hinder him from getting back to one hundred percent quicker. Do you think that is something? Do you think that maybe they they should say, you know what, take take the zero for a couple more weeks, let them get let them get set and be a hundred percent when you come back? What do you think? The answer is yes, but this is the Matt Harvey conundrum. Whether you keep him in because he's just been so good or do you, you know, think ahead and, and and plan ahead as opposed to keeping a guy in when he shouldn't really be in there anymore. These are big name players. The big name players want to play. They want to be out there. They want to represent their team. Especially Pete Alonso. He's he's gonna be a need a contract in a couple of years. He wants to produce numbers. He wants to get the you know everything out there. Bryce Harper, he's he was basically the face of the franchise when he signed with the with the Phillies. He wants to be out there. He, they got to the World Series last year. He wants to show that he's there and he's helping. When he had these big stars telling the manager, "Yes, I'm okay. Put me in." Who's gonna tell them no? The manager's gonna tell them no. The the, the management is gonna tell them no. No, because those guys when they're in the lineup, the they're putting they're, they're listen. They're they're putting fans in the seat in the seats. People do come see the Bryce come see Bryce Harper right now. People come see Pete Alonso. So who's gonna say no to that? The problem is is that the 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 training staff even if they say no, they get shouted down by everybody else. Yeah. All right, good thought there. Uh, all right, well, that's it for our show. Uh, Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really a pleasure having you. Always great chatting with you. Uh, why don't you just uh, tell us what's going on, uh, what you're working on, and all things Kevin Hastings. Oh, yeah, enjoying the summer, enjoying the baseball season. Uh, by the way, can't wait to see you guys in Arizona here in a few months. Got my, Everything's booked for me. I'm ready to go. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm uh, – I, I took a little bit of a step back over at On The Wire at Pitcher List, uh, still joining Adam uh, when I can uh, due to a new job, but he is holding down the fort uh, every Sunday morning at On The Wire Pods. You can check that out. And uh, yep, Adam Howe is, is holding the fort down. I've, I have been able to join him a handful of times this season, uh, including last week when he was actually on vacation and Lucas Berry joined me and we had a good time just talking baseball and fab for the week but uh yeah that's about it just uh looking forward to uh the rest of this season and seeing you guys in november yeah definitely and uh for those who do want to check it out take a look at the baseball hq website they run a fantastic program there you'll see all of us there speaking doing podcasts um, maybe we're going to try to even do a softball game there. That would be awesome. A uh, lot, lot to do. All-star game, home run derby there. Uh, really, really worth it. Uh, I, I go to every year now. It's fantastic. So definitely consider it. If you haven't done it, try it once. You'll be hooked. Ruvain, what about you? You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out injury updates as they come. Next man up. I also have a weekly article on Rotoballer discussing all these injuries I mentioned today and many more. Who, when they're coming back, who's their replacement, and what to expect. All right, and I'm Ariel Cohen. You can see my work over at Fangraphs, over at Rotoballer. My Twitter handle is ATCNY, and of course, right here on the Beat the Shift podcast, presented by Fangraphs each week well fantastic show fantastic strategy we did players a lot of stuff thank you so much once again to kevin hasting and from all of us here at beat the shift we'll see you next time
Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.